I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're what a visionary. I see your I'm connection a- here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Here we are. Back again. In the studio. In the studio. Keeping it real, real, real today. Today is a change up. What? It's a whole change up. We're throwing a curveball. It's an audible. <laughs> an audible? Yeah. Do you know what that means? No. See, this is what's interesting about this word specific to this episode. An audible in football is when you change the play. The quarterback is about to hike the ball and they look at the defense and they go, you know what? We're going to change things up. And that's when they call an audible. The last second. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about this one? It's audible in a different sense. Yeah, because it's for our audio book, which you can get on Audible. Oh, my goodness. Oh you my. just did all the words combined. It's like, what is that called? A double entendre? Sure. I don't know. <laughs> don't think so. I don't think it is either. <laughs> I don't think so either. I there think is that's a usually word. sexual when you talk about it like that, right? What? How did Yeah. All- this is what you always do. You turn everything <laughs> into a sex talk. And I'm like, oh, we're not even talking gosh, about that you're throwing today. Throwing it back at me. I oh hear you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Can you please keep it clean this episode? Okay. Okay. I'll try. Okay. I'll try. Okay. But today, Jeff, we are going through chapter two, which is your chapter. Yes. So the whole book, we switch back and forth between Jeff and I. And chapter two is your chapter. So I feel like I should ask you a few questions. Like, what were you thinking when you wrote chapter two? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just I was like, I wrote this chapter a long time ago. <laughs> this one was the this first is, few chapters we wrote to see if we were even going to do anything with this is it. Three years ago. Yeah. That's so funny. So I'm like, I don't even remember where I was when I wrote this chapter. Well, I would like to just read the title and our beginning quote because I think it's beautiful. That's great. So the it's chapter two called Pick One. And our beginning quote is from one of my favorite writers, Anne Lamott. Yeah, she's one of the best ever. My favorite. A good marriage is where both people feel like they're getting the better end of the deal. Hmm. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, I feel like I've definitely got the better end of our deal. Oh, Really? I feel like I was supposed to say that. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just, after I said, it, I was like, do I really think that? But I do. <laughs> I definitely do. But I also felt like I was supposed I do. to say that. He's shaking like, yes, I really do. I'm not going to get in trouble today. Yeah. So today, though, you're going to get chapter two from the audio book. Yeah. And we sat in the studio with our producer, Matt. For hours. Hours. And I mean, days. It was, what was funny was... Be- Poor Matt. Poor <laughs> Matt. I was texting with him about it, like, and he was editing it afterwards. He was like, literally, you're in my head, Jeff. <laughs> like, our voices... All day for long. hours and hours, he was listening to us. Then he had to edit us. And behind the scenes, this was just... It was such a kind of an exciting experience for us to read our book, right? Yeah, it was new. It was fun. 
So today I am going to tell you the three things we should be listening for. Oh, I'm taking over. We're taking an audible. We're doing an audible. (laughs) We're switching it up. So Andre, what are the three things that the listeners should be listening for today? Yes, you actually said it right for the first time in like three years of podcasting. Okay, here we go. Number one, our biggest fight ever. It was like our birthday fight. It was your birthday fight, the biggest fight. So you really want to listen for that. Number two, that young idealism of wanting to change the world. Yes. And number three, Hang on. Does that mean that we're all old now and we don't have that idealism anymore? <laughs> I think we're a little more jaded. No, I don't know. And number three, the 345 conundrum. Ooh, here we go. This episode, we get to hear from Jeff Schinnebarger. <laughs> you said it for yourself. That's so weird. <laughs> so here we go. We are listening to Jeff Schinnebarger oh, reading chapter two of our book, Love or Work, which comes out next week, August 18th. If we change the world and lose our family, we lose. Chapter two, pick one. A good marriage is where both people feel like they're getting the better end of the deal. Anne Lamont. It's been another great year. I'm so excited to be here with you. Let's celebrate tonight and talk about the past year and how our lives have changed. Yeah, let's do that. It's been the worst year of my life. Wait, what? It was our first weekend away as a couple since we became parents, just the two of us. 11 months earlier was the celebration of our adoption. It all happened extremely fast. One day we were filling out paperwork and three months later, we stared into the eyes of our tiny daughter in shock. I thought the adoption process would take three years. It took three months. There was no preparation and no adjustment time. We were thrown into parenting and diapers and sleepless nights without reading the what to do with a baby manual. It had been almost a full year of adjusting and learning how to be full-time working parents. Translation, one year of no one-on-one time with my wife which leads me back to the anticipation for this weekend away. Finally, our babysitter was prepped for the weekend, and as new parents, we'd set up the house for any possible outcome she might encounter. For example, famine, drought, hurricane, tornado, shark invasion, all of the above. We boarded a plane to Austin, Texas, and had reservations at a swanky new restaurant to celebrate my 31st birthday. This night was going to be an amazing celebration of the past year, and the positive changes in our life. I imagined that after our expertly curated farm-to-table dinner, we would eat chocolate cake topped with a dramatic sparkling candle, and the staff would serenade us into our grown-ups' only evening. We would go for a long walk exploring downtown and dream together about the next year. We had a great hotel room, including a full night's sleep at no extra charge and no baby interruptions. It was going to be an adult weekend full of adults-only choices. Maybe we would get a massage. Maybe we would go to a movie. Maybe we would simply sleep in. This was going to be the best weekend ever. Maybe my expectations were a little off. 
We sat down at our table, and before we even ordered drinks, it began. I instigated the conversation, my birthday dinner, our romantic date night. I was ready with questions to deepen our rich dialogue about celebrating life together. Andre came to dinner with something totally different on her mind. I had been looking forward to this time for months. She had been suppressing her feelings for months. She continued with why it had been the worst year ever. Listen, I have made a ton of changes since we had a baby, and you have made none. Your work has taken priority over everything. You leave for three or four day trips. You come home, go whenever you want. Do you think I am the only one who should be taking care of our baby? You're acting like this family is only my responsibility. This is not what I signed up for. I thought we were supposed to be partners. Instead, I am doing it all. I have dreams, I have work, and I need a break. I am so done with this, Jeff. I am done. As you can imagine, as Andre's long suppressed feelings came gushing out, the intensity and volume of the conversation grew too. There was a lot of yelling, and it wasn't coming from anyone else in the entire restaurant. Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You do remember this is my birthday, right? Can, can you just try to lower your voice a little bit? I thought adoption was your dream. Of course you would say that, that it's all about your birthday. All you care about is yourself. All you care about is what others think. It's all about you, right? And adoption, just as a reminder, was our dream. Are you serious right now? I had to take on more work to pay for the adoption while you were on maternity leave. We couldn't have made it financially this year without my work. You were able to stay home for three months while I had to do twice the work to keep up with our bills. What? I never told you I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Is this how it's going to be? Do you think you are the hero of this family? Hell no. You are doing the easy part. I am doing the hard parts. Wiping butts, getting up in the middle of the night, every night. You have it easy. You're going out for work lunches while I'm eating leftovers. You're going golfing while I'm mixing baby bottles. You're going on trips every week, leaving me feeling like I'm a single mom. Last time I checked, we were supposed to be partners. Well, sorry for choosing a profession with some side benefits. I have to do this stuff to grow the organization. I mean, actually, no, I am not sorry. This is what I am made to do. So what you're really saying is that your purpose is more important than mine. Actually, it's more important than everything. So what's it going to be? Work or family? Your dream or your wife? We never ate. No cake. No sparkling candle, no singing, crickets. We left the restaurant. Actually, she ran out of the restaurant and I sprinted after her. It was the birthday dinner of no one's dream ever. To be honest, I had no idea what she was talking about. I was embarrassed and shocked. I had no clue and no chocolate cake. We walked about five miles in a constant argumentative state. I think I saw every street in downtown Austin. Sometimes we talked, sometimes we yelled, sometimes in silence, sometimes in tears. There were steps that Andre walked solo 
moments when I was alone on a bench, brighter moments when we broke through the hard, raw circumstance and attempted to hold hands. Our adoption happened in a blink. We were matched on a Thursday and became parents the following Monday. My work schedule is usually planned six months in advance, and though we'd become parents in five days, I didn't deviate from my work schedule, even though we experienced this gigantic change in our life. Starting a family was a turning point in my life, her life, our life. I needed to realize and reflect on the fact that a future family was taking shape that wasn't based on traditional gender roles, individual aspirations, or simply the way it has always been. As a man, I thought my role in our family was to be a provider. But in reality, my wife was making more money than I was. As a dreamer, I allowed my ego to drive all my creative ambitions. But deep down, I knew Andre's work as a physician's assistant, literally saving lives, was crucial to the community. At the heart of it all, I wanted the person I love most in the world to live out her potential for good in the world. The way we were living wasn't providing space for this to happen. We were at a crossroads. The night of my birthday opened my eyes to the reality that we were entering into a different era of family structure. It wasn't the birthday present I hoped for, and I certainly didn't want it that evening, but it opened up a critical dialogue for Andre and me. That day solidified that we were going to move forward in a different way, a better way. Were we the only couple wrestling through this tension? The everyday moments. The family of today doesn't look the way my family did when I was growing up. I am thankful to have grown up with two parents who are still married. My dad was a pastor and my mom stayed home with the children. This situation worked for my parents, as it worked historically for many families in the United States. But the family structure is changing into what I believe is a better, more equitable future for every family member. Personally, this shifting family structure and the way it is lived out in our family starts with me and the life choices I make to serve my family. There are a few moments in life when we choose what we will be about, how we will live, and what values we will esteem the most. My birthday was one of those concrete moments that caused a shift in my heart. Every day I make constant choices between work, marriage, and kids. How do I choose between the three things I love most? How do I choose one over any of the others? Fast forward 10 birthdays from that wake-up call in Austin to a man who does it every single day. The logistics look something like this. Every day at 3.45 p.m., the three confront one another. I'm sitting in a meeting in my office. I glance at the clock and see that 3-4-5 combination and everything intersects. It's like the split screen in one of the episodes of the TV show 24. Me, Andre, the kids. School pickup is at 4 o'clock. It takes 15 minutes to get from my front door to the school's front door. I imagine my kids walking from their classrooms to the cafeteria where all the kids wait to be called to join their parents. I imagine being 15 minutes late, my kids being the lonely children waiting to be picked up. Screen change to Andre. White coat, stethoscope around her neck, in a small sterile room with a patient. She glances at her phone. I have not called yet. She knows that means I am not en route to get the kids. 
I flashed to my friend Angelo Spinola's chilling words. Think about what you want to be known for. Is it that you had a significant career or were a fantastic father? Why is it that we expect our families to be more flexible than our work? Ouch. If we're being honest, don't we really want both? 347. Thanks for nothing, Angelo. He's right, but the struggle is real. Run out of the meeting early. 350. 350. Call back into the meeting on my cell phone from the car. Put it on speakerphone. Drive. Fast. Sorry, everybody. What did I miss? 355. Stop at the infuriating light that always takes forever. 402. Finish the meeting and say goodbye as I'm walking into school. 410. Get the kids in the car and call Andre. Wipe sweat from brow. Hey, honey, I got the kids. Kids want to say hi to mommy? Hey, kiddos. How was school? Way to go, Jeff. Hey, by the way, can you pick up a couple things for me on the way home? Sure. Just text me what you need. I have all the time in the world. 4.15. Call back my team to give them one more thought on the meeting. Everything usually works out. No one is left at school. Dinner finds its way to the table. But who wins in this scenario? None of my favorite people. We managed to make it without an accident or children waiting alone. But there are no winners. How and who do we prioritize in an age when everything demands our time? The era of an eight-to-five job is over. The simplicity of separating a work phone and a home phone is rarely possible. The separation of life's most important roles is not as easy as it once was. When is it work time and when is it family time? We feel it and we struggle with it and we blur the lines. I blur them every day. It seemed much easier before we had children. Now we have a kid look at us and say, will you put your phone down and play with me? How long before we look at them and ask them to put their phone down to play with us? The line between work and love, work and family, is becoming the great dilemma of our generation. If we cannot separate work and family, are we ultimately failing both? How did we get here? In college, we believed we could change the world. Maybe you can relate to our story. We were affirmed by this world-changing idea in our early 20s when a group of crazy guys created a film called Invisible Children. I believe they were the first of many to plot a new course of action for our generation. Andre and I were not satisfied with normal work. We wanted our work to contribute to a better world. And we wanted to help each other make that a reality. We found more inspiration through people who seemed so close to us through the social sphere and TED-like inspirational talks. We started buying Tom's shoes. We were inspired by the story of Blake Mycoskie. We resonated with the authentic story of Scott Harrison when he created Charity Water. And either we created a campaign for our birthday or a friend created one for theirs. Bono challenged us through the One campaign to care about poverty and introduced us to conscious consumption. We bought a giving key to put around our neck to show that we supported job training programs for the homeless. What we wore, where we spent our money, and how we used our time were showing a new order of what mattered. 
Andre and I wanted to do something about the problems we saw in this world. We wanted to do it better and do it together. We were a couple committed to doing better in the world. And we were not the only ones. The word purpose started emerging in every conversation, from Rick Warren's book, which millions read, to the name of an entire album by Justin Bieber. Social justice was not just a term. It became a required way of living. We believed that living without care for our neighbors, our planet, and the world was a one-dimensional life. We wanted more. We intentionally moved into a neighborhood where we were the minority. We formed relationships with people different from us. Soon our friends were from different cultures, different neighborhoods, different sexual orientations, and different ethnicities. These friends helped us see the world from a broader perspective. And all the while, we shared this perspective together, partners in love. Most importantly, we started asking questions, started listening, started trying new things, started caring for people in the world. We started doing things about the social issues that we saw were wrong. We learned about empathy and action, we, together. In the midst of all of this, the most amazing device found its way into our homes and lives, the smartphone. It connected everything important to us, friends, causes, websites, tasks, Emails, calendars, songs, movies, money, stats, workouts, and the list goes on and on. Just like all technology, it was meant to make life easier and better. Access to the entire world landed in our hands. After finding love, we had babies. We gained responsibility for our children, and our responsibility to stay plugged in and doing good grew too. Well, we had no idea what we were in store for as we grew our family and how that would alter our lives. We also had no idea how work was defining itself in our home too. This is where we find ourselves today. It's the crucial 3.45 p.m. moment. Are we going to make it? So we have begun asking questions. These are questions Andre and I have felt very personally in our own marriage and have asked throughout our community. Having children doesn't mean we can't still change the world, right? We still have all our passions. Our children just need to come along for the journey. Or can they? One way we have committed to continuing this conversation while developing community is through our organization called Plywood People. Plywood is a nonprofit in Atlanta that leads a community of startups doing good. Members of this community of social entrepreneurs and nonprofit leaders have given their lives to restoring broken systems, and we are doing it at great cost. They are rarely paid much money, but feel such a deep responsibility toward restoration that they are willing to let people over profit drive their lives. They work long hours, feel responsible for others, and care about making things better for vulnerable populations around the world. When people make decisions like this, the world around them takes notice. We are all wowed by their selfless pursuits to help others. You probably know people like this. They are leading emerging social enterprises, or better known as businesses with a cause, starting homes for women in prostitution, caring for the homeless, adding children to their families through foster care, and maybe even welcoming new refugees into the country. Their creativity towards solving problems is endless. 
and the fears they have overcome to bring these ideas into reality are many. Meanwhile, alongside their heroic pursuits, often their personal lives falter. How do you change the world and still be a great father or mother? Even more challenging, our culture now does this unique thing called platforming. When you are a person overcoming fear for the good of others, our culture gives you a microphone. You start speaking and sharing your story. You start getting invited into the important rooms to tell the good news of your work. Your work is affirmed through applause, invitation, and celebration. Often the applause for our work is greater than the applause at home. As the applause gets louder, the invitations increase. You attend more influential meetings. All this is good. All this is important. All this is world impacting. Good stuff that requires you to be away from home. To miss the 345 pickup. Good stuff that throws love of family off balance. In the blink of an eye, sustaining a healthy work life takes over sustaining a healthy home life. And the lines are blurred. Work meets love. Work takes time from family. Family takes time from work. If there's no balance, what do we do? Is there such a thing as work-life balance? What do you do when everything becomes work? When everyone becomes work and the work becomes work, people want to go to meals with us and discuss work. Friends ask you about your work. Family helps support your work. Work becomes life and life is made possible through work. Where's the love? Where did the family go? As meaningful work is becoming a more desired way to live, and as the freelance culture is becoming a normal way to make ends meet, There is a confusing overlap and integration of mission, work, family, side hustle, friends, coworkers, marriage, and the list keeps going that we all are wrestling with daily. Does work ever end if it is connected to your purpose? Not really. It just goes with us and moves to another conversation. It keeps expanding into all facets of our lives. We can't just hope things will be different. We have to be intentional about creating new ways to operate given this dilemma. In the midst of all this work, there is a stark reality, often a tension that you didn't put the work in at home. I didn't get the birthday present I expected eight years ago, but I got a glimpse into what happens when there's a work-family mismatch. We have to do good work and do good things for our family. We must create new patterns of operating. Which one wins when? When faced with two good things, how do you decide which one wins? Sometimes when we care deeply about problems around us, we end up creating problems for those closest to us. We don't mean to, but it happens. Sometimes our dream purpose, and meaningful work negatively impact our marriage and our kids? Why do we use up all our time and energy on our work and expect our family to accommodate our pursuits? This was the crux of the epic birthday fight in Austin. I expected Andre to accommodate and cater to my dreams and work without asking her permission. 
That moment is when I finally realized my selfishness in thinking my work was the most important. From that time, I have constantly wondered if there is a better way or a different way. Mother Teresa once declared, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. It's a great perspective from a person who often experienced the effects of the home in her clinics. Most believe that her family was the church and her mission, the poor and vulnerable. Yet maybe she was on to something. She chose not to have a family for a reason. If I wasn't married, if I didn't have children, could I do more in the world? Let's play out a couple of the other relational frameworks to consider. Can you do more good in the world as a person not in a committed relationship? People asked St. Francis if he ever thought about being married, and he spoke of a, quote, fairer bride than any of you have ever seen. Referring to his lady poverty, John Wesley believed that more good could be accomplished if he focused on his relationship with God and the calling of his work which led him to stay single for 48 years. And of course, one of the noblest servant leaders of the 20th century, Mother Teresa, chose to care for people who were dying in Calcutta over a life of marital relationship. Though she believed in the traditional family unit fiercely, she sacrificed having a spouse and children for the greater good of her mission. Years after her death, a book called Come Be My Light, a collection of her writings, depicted her deepest torment, referred to as the dark night of the soul. Even she struggled for over 50 years in a spiritual wilderness and deep loneliness. Had her work taken over? Most people at a very core level are lonely, which prompts the desire for a partner in life. I resonate with this. I would not be the person I am today without my life partner. We are better together. Andre sees things in me, good and bad, that I could never see in myself. Or maybe I could see them, but I am not willing to accept them. I know I can contribute more good to the world because I have found this partner who makes me better. Relationships can both distract us from our purpose and help us discover our purpose. For some people, being single is a great gift for social change and includes luxuries few actually think or talk about. But most people reading this book have probably chosen the route of having a committed partner or wanting one in the future. And so we will make an assumption that most reading are looking for love through relationships. The second question, can you do more good in the world as a couple with no children than as a couple with children? There are three couples we know personally who have proactively chosen not to have children for this specific reason. Our podcast with Kristen Felina Hewerts taught us so much about this decision as a sacrificial concept. Their conviction is that their life mission would be held back if children were their daily responsibility. While things can always change, they could not travel, serve, or lead in the same way with kids. Now, others have tried hard to have children and experience loss, failed pregnancies, and adoptions. If that is your story, we want to extend empathy and great respect to you. Though you may grieve not having the family you imagined, your circumstances may present a new way to engage the world as a couple. The dream of having it all. We want to love our partner and work with purpose and raise our family. We want to do it all. But if we're honest, most of us struggle to do all these things well. 
If we look into the greatest social change agents in history, we find that many of them gave their lives to important work at the cost of their families and relationships. Yet we celebrate them as heroes. In many scenarios, the known social leader has been given priority to pursue their purpose and a partner has been given the responsibility of raising the family. Nelson Mandela fought for his mission and his family missed having a father while he served in prison for 27 years. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the leader of the civil rights movement and his family lost a husband and father for the sake of the cause. I could go on giving examples of families that suffered for a greater purpose. Some may say the greatest way for kids to understand purpose is for their parents to show it with their own lives. Yes. Some may say the greatest thing parents can do for their kids is to have a healthy marriage. Yes. Some may say the greatest way to change the world is through raising kids who change the world. Yes. We believe that if we change the world and lose our family, we lose. We are on a mission to unpack the hope that we can simultaneously pursue our purpose, stay in love, and raise world-changing kids. We are on a journey to answer this unique question for ourselves, for those currently grappling with this tension, and for a new generation. We want to learn from others and share our findings with those of you who also feel the strain between love and work. In the next chapter, Andre will share what our research has revealed about the challenge of managing our personal and professional lives. Do a challenge. We all need creative ideas for taking what we read and putting it into practice. Share your experience with others and tag at loverwork, hashtag loverwork. Here's the challenge. Explore your family of origin. Take a moment to draw out your family tree. Add to the side any mentors and influential people in your life. Next to each person, write one to three characteristics regarding the way they balance love and work. Take a moment to consider how the example they lived has impacted the way you operate today. What are three characteristics you want your family to attribute to you? And now it's time for the breakdown. So you're going to break down your chapter? Well, I, what I wanted to do is, is kind of reiterate some things that happened there. In our book, you'll get that experience. If you do the audio version, which you can get on audible.com or through Amazon or whatever, wherever you listen to Audible books, um, it'll all be available on Tuesday, August 18th, which we'd love for you to consider listening in on that scenario. Yeah. Um, but at the end of every chapter, we have these questions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just ask one of the questions to you that you just heard. Um, specifically, in your marriage, how has the structure of your family origin impacted your view on work and life balance? What about for you? How did that play a role? You got to hear some of mine um, in the chapter, but for you, how did that play out? Yeah, well, I um, have always had a dual income family, so working parents, both of them. My mom is a nurse, and my dad um, has worked all kinds of jobs, but that has always played a role in the sense that I've always seen my mom working, 
And um, I've definitely also seen the sacrifices and the ways that they had to navigate and change life. Mm. I remember one of the most significant changes I saw in my parents' work life was when I got into high school and I was huge into sports, playing every sport. And so every evening I had games or practices or whatever. And I remember my dad took a lower paying job, like under his pay grade that he was already making, like to switch so that he could work nights, like midnight to seven, Mm. that night shift so that he could make it to every one of my games. And I just remember that being so significant to me, how, you know, he was willing to change his job, make less money, do all the all of that just so that he could watch his daughter play volleyball. Yeah. And to me, um, those were different moments that I've seen kind of all along in my parents' kind of working relationship um, shift around. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's, that's exactly, like I asked you just on a whim a question, right? Yeah. And you instantly had a response. You and I could have a 45-minute discussion about About what you just shared. Yeah, exactly. And I think this whole book, at the end of that, you and I had to have these conversations. What does success look like on this? Is it numbers of sales? Is it whatever? But ultimately we were like, you know, we hope couples go through these questions. Yeah. Ultimately, if if we uh, hear conversations that are happening around uh, these topics with couples, that's a win. And that's our success rate right there. Totally. So as you get into this, you know, you might not buy the book yet. Maybe you just need to listen to this episode with your partner, ask them to listen to it. And just to get an idea of what, what this could look like for you and your partner, then sit on your porch or sit on wherever you have conversations and ask each other questions. I mean, a book like this is only good if it encourages conversation for you and your partner. That's, that's the breakdown of this whole thing, right? That's all we're hoping for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also some fun challenges you probably heard at the end and this one related to family of origin. At the end of every chapter, there's a challenge, uh, which is me. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, a challenger. Yes, you had to include this. I had for to sure. include that in every <laughs> chapter. Try one of these things. A lot of them will turn into a fun date night or something you can do with the person that you love. Well, here you go. I feel like this was a great, great episode today. Yeah. I listened you to get, myself. Yeah. You get a little That's preview of a what is weird. to come. Preview yeah. of what is to come. So we hope you will buy this book and we hope this is an encouragement to you. Yeah. And you can still get a bunch of freebies if you pre-order the book today and tell us about it at loveorworkbook.com. There's a bunch of free things you get Mm -hmm. um, just by being a part of it. We hope you share it. We help you help us get this launch off the ground so that so many couples can learn from the things that we've learned through by interviewing over 100 couples. All right. Well, that's another episode of Love Love or Work. Work. up
episode was recorded by our favorite, Matt Owen, for Soul Graffiti Productions.